welcome to Chicago Justice Show. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more info about what we do at chicagojustice.org. So let me start off up top. We, um, we had some technical difficulties this morning, so we will not be talking about our violence against women on the report. We hope to have Ellie on next Wednesday to talk about it. But we will be talking about today is Ken Griffin, Citadel hedge fund billionaire, talking about leaving the city and what he can do to save the city. And of course, Cranes, Chicago business had to get involved, the editorial board, and you know where that's going. Then we're going to talk about the hilarious, if not outright ridiculous, unbelievably dumb defense by Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson to lying to federal investigators about loans he never paid back and he knew. And then we're going to end on a Mother Jones article, a really good one about the app Citizen and what's going on internally into um, internally to that the company's offices, what's going on internally, what gets through on Citizen. We've talked about Citizen before. They have a um, they had I think they're ending it, but they have a service where you can summon private security to wherever you are. It's really kind of unbelievable. Um, things are not going well for a citizen, and that's good. I'm not a particular fan of the app. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start out with Ken Griffin. Here is an article from Crane Chicago Business. It's not an article, it's an op-ed, and it's titled, Chicago is worth saving. Business leaders like Ken Griffin can help. This is based on Ken Griffin um, an, an, giving a speech at the Economic Club in Chicago and basically saying... He's thinking of leaving Chicago and moving his hedge fund out of Chicago because of um, all the crime and violence. Ladies and gentlemen, Chicago would be no better, no worse for him leaving. If he left the state and got out and stopped donating, we'd all be much better off. Remember, this is the guy that helped bring us Bruce Rauner. This is the guy that helped bring us Mayor Rahm Emanuel. This is the guy that, um, in my opinion... Gave $10 million to the crime lab to help these strategic uh, operation centers at the local districts in an effort to help Rahm Emanuel, by the way. I think it was sort of a campaign donation that wasn't really a campaign donation. Um, he was recently, and he's got private security, I guess, with him all the time, or when he goes out, who knows? Who cares? Um, he almost got carjacked. And because of that, he gives this speech and he's threatening to move out of the city. I don't care if he has 500 employees or 5,000. It's really not going to make any difference. I bet you most, I bet you him and most of the people do not live in the city. And it would really make no real economic difference to the city. But the media went all off a, a fluff. You know, they're all crazy here on fire about Ken Griffin possibly leaving the city. Oh my God, a white billionaire threatens to move. We must respond immediately. Who cares? Anyways, he helped fund the opposition to the progressive tax. Like I said, he's backed Rauner, he backed Rom, the $10 million to the crime lab, crime lab. Doesn't like Pritzker because he campaigned against him. Does not like Pritzker at all. That's partially why he gave the speech. And if the, the economic club, if you dig into it, he rips Rauner most of all, which is interesting because city crime, it's a, it's a city problem. Should have ripped the mayor, but it was oddly not going after the mayor. So let's look at this article a little bit. The op-ed. It 
remember that even when these um, institutions that love rich people, which is most of the media, and specifically Cranes for sure, they can't get out of the box about what are possible solutions. So Crane's big point of this crappy op-ed that they wrote, and again, if you're listening on the podcast, the links to all of this are on our website. The point is, Ken Griffin, with all the money he gives in philanthropic activities, but don't it's a horrible, awful, God, unbelievably racist, horrific politicians. I mean, it's probably reflective of the man's interest somehow that he kind of um, um, uh, is attracted to horrible, despicable human beings. Both Rauner and Ram are both of those, in my opinion. So, the big point in Cranes was they should give money, like the business community should give money to CP4P, Communities Partners for Peace, Communities Partnering for Peace, CP4P, Chicago Cred, Arnie Duncan's organization, Arnie Duncan's most likely a mayoral challenger to Mayor Lori Lightfoot and employs Susan Lee, the former deputy mayor of chief of staff who was sent up to build up organizations like Chicago Cred in Chicago. Um, and only spent a year and had to get out of the mayor's office, and ready Chicago. Now, go back into the archives. We have a show that featured interviews all together, one show with CP, someone from CP4P, from Chicago Cred, and ready Chicago. They were all on a show. My takeaway from that show was, yes, we are doing great things. Yes, we need more money, but we are a Band-Aid and nothing more. Unbelievable, serious economic changes in the city have, have to be made or there will be no reduction in, in crime and violence. I agree with that. I, I like the work all these organizations are doing. Yes, I wish they had more money, but no, they are not the solution. They are mere abandoned. It doesn't mean they're not doing great work. They are. They are not going to change all of what's going on in the south and west sides of the city. They're not. They know that. But Cranes, the farthest Cranes can go is to tell Griffin, or suggest to Griffin, he should fund these organizations. They're not calling for the massive economic changes that really got to happen to take care of the problems at the root cause of everything that's going on in Chicago. That is, Cranes will not go there. The mainstream media, for the most part, will not go there. So we're just going to keep repeating this. Even if, if CP4P, Chicago Credit, and Ready Chicago doubled their money or quadrupled their money, they make a small dent, and that's it. It doesn't mean they're bad. They're doing great work. It just means they don't have the capabilities. They don't, and they know it. Now, does the business community have a role? Yes. Here's their role that would be most meaningful in Chicago. Stop stealing money from taxpayers. That's it. The business community has to stop taking handouts from the fifth floor, from City Hall, from the mayors. Well, what do I mean? Well, okay. Now I want to go to the Sun-Times article. September 30th, 2021. It is all about TIFs, Tax Increment Financing Districts. We talked about it many times on the show, and we're going to continue talking about it. 
tax increment financing districts in Cook County as a whole. In 2020, the revenue they collect, and you can go to past shows or look up online exactly what a TIF is. I'm not going to go in depth here. But in 2020, amidst all the chaos and mess in Cook County, the revenue generated paid into those TIFs from the general funds of the local municipalities in Cook County was up 11%. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, up in 2020 amidst all the chaos and the, and the, the worldwide pandemic to a total of $1.5 billion a year being siphoned from local jurisdictions, general funds, the city and suburbs, right? Now, ladies and gentlemen, over, just over 1 billion of that 1.5 billion was siphoned off of taxpayer funds, the general, what would go into the general revenue fund of the city, a little over 1 billion of that money was siphoned off in the 132, 132 TIF districts that make up Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, Chicago, the Chicago TIF revenue accounted for 38% of the total taxes collected by the city for tax year 2020, 38%. So why do they keep raising taxes in Chicago? Well, this is what happens. We need to raise $100 million in Chicago. Well, we need to raise the tax, not to raise $100 million off the entire city. We need to raise the tax because we're only going to, we need to raise that $100 million off of 62% of the city. Because yes, while the taxes are raised through the entire city, thir- that increase on 38% of the city is going into the TIF funds. So as they raise taxes, to, they have to raise the taxes higher then. Because they're only collecting money that goes into the general revenue fund, 62% of the city. Now, when they do that, the money paid into the tips actually increases significantly. And this is a game they've been playing since the early mid-90s, maybe even earlier. The South Loop, as you look at it, and Fulton Mark and now West Loop, that didn't happen just by accident. That happened by hundreds of millions of dollars of tax increment finance money being pushed into those areas. Look at the cranes around the city. Many, many of those are paid for actually by taxpayers. That's the scam. Lightfoot's raising taxes again. It's because 38% of the money they get every year goes into this TIF fund. She can spend any way she wants. She was for all these TIF reforms, blah, blah, blah. They closed 14 TIFs in the last year and, or from 19 to 20 or something. And look what we're doing. They still collected over a billion dollars. She's not for that. There's no more transparency than there was under ROM. It's BS. Where's the change? There isn't any change. The change needs, these need to go. And this money needs to go in the general revenue fund. And then it needs to be, go through the same budgeting process as they all do, period. Every expenditure does. And not through these hidden accounts, both for Chicago and all the suburbs of Cook County that collect another almost $400 million or almost $500 million in TIF money. It's ridiculous. The business community wants to do something. That's what they should do. Stop taking the handouts and call on the mayor and the governor to end TIF districts. The mayor specifically can sign with a pen and make them all and just get rid of all of them or go downstate and just get rid of TIF funds completely. But they don't want to do it because they have their pot. And when their hands aren't controlling that money, they want the end of TIFs. Once their hands, their greedy little hands get on that, those funds, they're very pro-TIF. And it's the same thing for Alderman. They complain about TIFs, but they don't do anything. They don't care because the mayor doles out some special prize for them. 
street repaving or a park or something that allows them uh, to go back to their constituents and see what I did for you. It's a, it's a, it's like a, a conspiracy of like-mindedness. It helps everyone, except people like people like. Remember, Rom closed fifty schools because we were broke. Although, don't look into TIF funds at that point. They were, the TIF accounts had like five hundred million dollars in them. We're broke. Just don't look at this other slash fund, uh, slush fund. So that's what the business community can do. But nothing you'll ever hear from the Cranes editorial board. Nothing like that. They're very pro TIF because it's very pro business. Okay, we're only going to do this. Oh, hold on. Before I jump onto that, our next segment is the unusual defense for Chicago Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson to lying to federal bank regulators about loans that he net from a bank that went belly up that he never paid back. And guess what? When the federal regulators came and took over the bank, they started looking at the balance sheets and who paid what? And wouldn't you know it? Patrick Daly Thompson didn't make any payments. Or he made a couple and then stopped on two loans. Because we can all do that, right? And not get foreclosed on? So, this is a story from Chuck Gowdy, who I'm not a hugest fan of, but I just think I want to show you to It's two minutes, or you can listen to it if you're on the pod. It's just a pretty funny story. This alderman, the, grand, the nephew of recent Mayor Daly and the grandson of old Mayor Daly, he's a lawyer and an alderman. Remember that when you hear what what his lawyer said in court about why he shouldn't be found guilty of lying to bank regulators. Karen Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson, who carries Chicago's most famous mayoral name at the center of his own political brand tonight, is planning what can only be described as a helter-skelter defense in federal court. When the 11th Ward City Councilman goes on trial next Monday, he will try to convince a jury that personal disorganization and carelessness caused financial misconduct that now jeopardizes his livelihood and his liberty. Alderman Daly Thompson is an attorney and an alderman, grandson of the late Mayor Richard J. Daly and nephew of former Mayor Richard M. Daly. But that pedigree won't be on trial a week from today when the Bridgeport Alderman is here at the Dirksen Federal Building, facing seven charges that he lied to U.S. bank regulators and filed false tax returns. Newly filed court documents by Thompson's attorneys describe him as haphazard and having provided years of paperwork to his accountant in a large disorganized folder that included many superfluous documents. He's so scatterbrained. His documentation is all over the place. He didn't intentionally uh, do this. Former Chicago federal prosecutor Jeff Kramer tonight summing up the apparent defense gambit that is in the works. Is there a term in the legal profession for a defendant who basically uses a defense that he was a scatterbrain? Yeah, there's no, uh, there's nothing in Latin that, uh, that, that leads to that. But, uh, you know, there's a logic to it here. Um, his argument is I didn't purposely do this. There's, there's an intent element uh, in the tax code. During the decades, there has been a parade of Chicago aldermen into federal court here accused of a smorgasbord of crimes. Most cut deals, many are convicted, some go to jail. 51-year-old Daley Thompson is going to trial, likely because his political career depends on an acquittal. The first issue uh, for, this, uh, for this defendant is to make sure he doesn't, uh, doesn't go to prison. After that, he can worry about a re-election campaign. Okay, 
That's right. You know, I'm I'm just too disorganized and I don't pay attention and I'm just plain dumb, right? Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a, well, I think it was like $200,000 loan on his home or his second home maybe, and then another forty or sixty or eighty thousand dollar loan to rehab his ward office. Ladies and gentlemen, imagine yourself and you have a bank loan or two bank loans as the case may be here, and you don't make any you make only a couple payments and you just stop because you forget about it. Making those payments. Do you think when the bank regulators come to you and you say, oh, I don't know. No, I, I made payments. I'm sure I did. I only owe like $100,000 left. And that's untrue. Do you think you're going to get off in court at trial for saying, I'm just so disorganized I didn't know? And what's going on here in, in the lawyer that's in the story is basically... The only defense to lying to federal regulators when they can obviously prove you didn't make those payments, it's very easy. The only defense is they're going to say that he didn't have the mens rea. He didn't have the state of mind. He wasn't trying to commit a crime. This is all just mistakes and accidents. He mistakenly didn't make those payments and he mistakenly thought he had in the sum of $100,000 plus. Does that make any sense, ladies and gentlemen? Now, during this time, he was inherited from Daly, uh, this recent Mayor Daly's mother passing away. He inherited part of an apartment building that I think he made $8 million off of. So what, they're, what I'm assuming they're going to say is all your taxes were right, except for the fact that you lied that you were making these payments to the bank. That's the one aspect of your, your um, finances that are the problem. I really only wanted to talk about it because the, the level of stupidity involved in this. He obviously doesn't want to take a plea. There is no way he's getting out of this. The tax fraud, he's done. You're, he's done. He didn't make the payments to the bank. He claimed he did. He did asked for deductions on the interest of amounts he never paid. He's gone. I think on those rounds, he's convicted 100%. The lying to investigators, my bet is he's probably about a 92%, 93% conviction rate on that claim too also. I don't know why he's going to trial. It might be that he just doesn't want to spend any time in prison. Um, my bet is he's going to be found guilty on both and do a, a short stint in Indiana or wherever they, they put him. Um, hopefully, he, if he's not too uh, hampered by his ignorance and um, lack of intelligence he'll be able to find the way from his cell to getting food. Um, it's really unbelievable. I'm a lawyer. I went through law school, but I'm just, you know, haphazard. I, I don't pay attention to things. And how did you pass law school, my friend? How did you get elected? Besides the fact that you're a daily. Does that make any sense? <laughs> you got to give him credit, though. It is a unique, unique, unique defense. Okay, we're going to get on to our last segment here. It's an article from Mother Jones. We're going to try to get the author on the show. The article is titled, Crime Tracking App Citizens Sent Staff to the Capitol Riot for Clicks. And that's just the start. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is right. The app citizen, which is like this crime alerting app. We'll get into it a little bit here. Sent someone to 
the insurrection so that they could pretend to be one of the insurrectionists and so they could take videos of people. It's really fascinating. Um, it would seem to me, I, I don't think it's brought up in the article unless I missed it, if this person was inside the Capitol taking videos of people, then they were trespassing and did something illegal. And we'll get to why that's important in a minute because are they a news gathering organization? Because then they would be covered. You could be there theoretically. But they say they're not a news gathering organization. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's take a look at this article. It's really fascinating. So what do they do? A citizen says they do instant notifications and live broadcasts of reported crimes and incidents near you. Now, it's all mostly, if not entirely, mostly citizen generated and a couple people in a room somewhere in you know, um, New York, I think, and then well overseas listening to scanners. Well, you can get scanners online for most of them now, listening to scanner and posting things about what's going on. It's horrific for people that have, don't know about crime and how often it happens and what it happens. Plus, this is like you're only getting a slice of it, so it's a huge problem. Also, as I said earlier in the, in the intro to the show today, they have a service where you can summon private security to your, if you're feeling insecure wherever you're out at, you can summon private security. Supposedly that's not doing any good. So let's get to the article. During the January 6th Capitol riot, 1.4 million users engaged with the app for real-time updates, video footage, and police radio snippets. Its best ever daily performance, executives needed to keep the momentum and the new revenue it brought in. Well... Let's see, how did they plan on doing that? By sending a frightened Washington, D.C.-based staffer into the violent fray, disguised as a member of the destructive crowd, the insurrectionists, without protections or safety protocols, a quote from a source, he was there pretending like he was one of them, said one former citizen staffer. He was just filming and sending those back to Central Command. A lot of those videos that have that you saw that were actually from a citizen, they were actually from a citizen employee. They were not user generated. That employee who didn't respond to an interview request repeatedly or reportedly became so frightened for his safety that he fled the scene while managers in New York were super excited that the footage helped bring in millions of clicks and views. All right, so it's, it's, it's the app generating that content that people are thinking are from users. According to documents, back to the article, according to documents assessing the incident reports from December 20th through February 2021, hundreds of alerts containing false information would go out daily. The employees I spoke with said, including incorrect locations and other details or wholly wrong descriptions of events. Two former staffers I spoke with were constantly correcting errors on the fly. One of the most time-consuming aspects of their job, but, the, but that kind of attention, they said, was the exception to the rule, the fact that they would be correcting all these mistakes. Now remember, this is user-generated, people on the street. People see cars and flashing lights, with the, they don't have any clue what the hell is going on, but they're reporting it, they're saying something, or someone's getting a snippet of radio when they're listening to the scanners, and oh my God, here's what it is, and often it isn't what it is. So the CEO is Andrew Frame, and a, and a venture capitalist, Oh, and another early investor, because Frame was an early investor, is venture capitalist and sometime Trump ally Peter Thiel. Boom, boom. We'll get to all that. 
We'll get to especially about frames. So let's continue with the article. The most widely publicized false report, first covered by The Verge in May, led to the detention of an innocent man publicly blamed by citizen for a wildfire burning just miles from a Los Angeles mansion that Frame owned. Citizen published the man's photograph and made headlines when Frame personally offered a $30,000 bounty for his capture. As users flocked to Citizen's fire coverage, Frame's messages grew more animated. Find this fuck. He, he wrote in a Slack message, Vice reported. Let's get this guy before midnight. He's going down. The man was later cleared of any connection to the blaze, and the app once again did numbers, which means they generated a lot of activity around that. The article continues. One staff member told me that Frame called following night. He told me he had some friends who were watching Citizens Fire coverage together. That staffer said, and they were all loving it, loving the incident, and they wanted to cast it to a TV screen, broadcast it from their phone, or whatever app they were using. Framer's friends, uh, Frame's, Frame's friends were watching Citizens coverage of a manhunt, according to the staffer, like sport. Frame later publicly apologized but in all hands-on meaning, he insisted the incident had been a massive net win. Exploitation of crime and violence and victimization for profit. So are they news? Frame, who was reportedly adamant, especially amid the fallout from, his highest, from its highest profile error, that Citizen was not a news app, were, public, were a public safety app. Okay. What is gained by giving people access to a a random slice of crime and violence around them? Frame doesn't care because it's about money. In the first 10 days of January, which included its record-breaking insurrection coverage, documents suggest the company notified users of close to 30,000 incidents. Based on the specialist reports, more than 5,500 of those, almost one in five, may have contained factual errors. Of course, they're getting them out so quickly, people are just doing it themselves on the street, and then you have people just listening to a scanner. Of course it's wrong. Other analysts under pressure to ratchet up the numbers of incidents would keep knowingly would knowingly log prank calls and other false reports, like a litany of calls summoning emergency services to 312 Riverside Drive in Manhattan, an address that doesn't exist. Even the cops disregarded a foreigner staffer said, but we still push it. Uh-oh. Analysts were also working drunk and high, partly because that was the atmosphere in the organization. And partly because of having to deal with all the stuff they're seeing constantly in these feeds. So this is the last couple segments of the article we'll talk about. Citizens' future depends on its profitability. As of late August, the firm was $16 million short of its $28 million target, which is over half, by the way. Partly due to lower than anticipated returns on Protect, a $20 per month feature that lets users speak with its analysts on demand. Just 28% of those users pay for subscriptions after their free trials ended. The biggest problem Citizen faces, according to one former staff member, is that the app solves nothing. It's so useless. Absolutely. Last bit of the article. The same ex-staffer said the Citizen model amounts, whether or not by design, to building what company analysts call the fear machine, a perfect product feedback loop that 
help sustain revenue. Constant crime notifications can instantly can intensify users' sense of fear and pervasive danger, giving them more incentive to buy premium features like Protect. I felt like we're only distributing the heroin for free. That, that we're not only distributing the heroin for free, this after said, we're selling the Narcan. Yes. And this is the problem, right? You're getting a slice of it. Whatever users want to push and then analysts or whatever the hell they're called inside the organization, citizen, they have people listening to the scanners. They're only pushing out things. And the goal, if you read the article from them, is to push as much as humanly possible. As much as humanly possible. It is a fair machine. And it, I, when I, I, I have the citizen app, I look at it because I'm curious how it functions. I've been following it in the news. It's been in the news a lot. Um, that protect feature scares the crap out of me. Um, they are the heroin dealers. And this is, the, this is like the mainstream media on crack. Or on, I assume crack's not even the right drug. It's on meth or massive amounts of speed, right? Where they're just going to keep pushing. It's, it's on the accelerant, right? The problem with crime coverage, more or less, is that they don't give you the context around this thing. Now, this is absolutely no context, and it's constantly pushing crime and violence at you. Sorry. Constantly pushing the stuff at you with absolutely no context. Crime and violence has always occurred in our country, our city. I'm in D.C., whether you're in Chicago, New York, whatever. Crime and violence happens everywhere. Um, if Ellie was on the show today like we had tried to do, we have the data from Chicago. Domestic violence, sexual assault happens so much more than the street violence you see on the street with armed robberies, gun violence, all of that. right? It's the violence in our homes. This stuff happens regularly. And without the context, you're lost to understand it. And you're basically just feeding people. You're just feeding them like adrenaline that is going to push their fear. And that's what citizens based on. That's what they want because they want you to buy that protect service. They want you to pay 20 bucks. So in any time, 20 bucks a month, anytime you can, um, if you live in DC, LA, and I think there's one other city, you can summon private security and they'll come and save you. The LA police chief said it's a great idea. He loves that they're in LA. It's the most mind-bogglingly stupid thing in the world. Why police want more people out there with guns running around? I have no idea. But this is the fundamental problem with this app. And I've seen even progressive news outlets like TYT just totally screw up reporting on Citizen. Um, totally screwed up. This is horrific. Thank you, Mother Jones, for doing it. Um, I'm looking forward to... Um, and I want to get her name right, so I'm going to pause for a second. I think it's Lillian Kalish. Lil Kalish is how uh, it's written there, but if you go on to her page about her on Mother Jones, it's Lillian. We're looking forward to going to try to get her on the show to talk more about the article. It's a fascinating piece. It's so well-written, so well-researched. Um, it's really, really scary. Okay, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. We will be back to you on Friday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Thank you so much. Please subscribe for the podcast. We'd really appreciate that because we're pushing content there that is exclusive to the podcast. And if you want to get involved, cjpnation.org. Get involved in our research and group projects. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, thank you, everyone. Have a great day.